0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. You know, for over 15 years, Gowan Canada has focused our deepest respect for science and passion for agriculture to help growers work toward the results they need to grow profitable crops. Herbicide resistance is a growing challenge, and chemical rotation is king. Our Muddy Boots approach to understanding crop protection challenges helps us deliver the right solutions for sustainable weed and pest management. To see the full list of products, go to GowanCanada.com. That's GowanCanada.com. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada.
1: Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I will be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Ian Epp. He's an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. Ian, welcome to Inputs.
0: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: And we are very glad that you are here because I don't know where you are, but I can start seeing some of the grass poking through that snow, and I'm getting pretty excited for the start of spring. And I'm sure that all of our lovely producers across the country are also very excited for the start of spring to get back in those fields so today what we were thinking of doing is just talking about getting back in the field and some of the things to keep in mind with regards to canola in particular so before we get into all that very fun stuff I just want to take us back to last year's growing season and just kind of talk about those numbers so Ian do you have an idea of how many acres of canola were seeded last year in the prairies?
0: Yeah, I think Stats Canada came up with, I think, 21, just over 21 million acres of canola. So, you know, slight changes, but kind of where canola has been actually for the last couple of years.
1: Right. And so are we expecting anything different for this year? Is there more excitement for producers to get out and see canola or what have you been hearing in your world?
0: I don't think we're going to see any massive changes. Ag Canada's predictions say a slight increase maybe, but I think there's always some variability come seeding time at spring and other pressures. And with crop commodity prices being very fluid, I don't know. There's quite a bit of uncertainty in the market there, but I I would expect nothing too different from what we've seen in the past. A lot of people have penciled it into the rotation and, you know, other crops are in the rotation for good agronomic reasons. So I I would expect something along the lines of what Ag Canada is predicting, something very similar to what we've seen in the past.
1: Great. Well, I'm glad to hear that people are still making those great agronomic decisions and seeding whatever should be actually be going into their field and not just hopping onto the new market trends. But still sticking back into 2022 there, what were the conditions like at the end of the field season? And I guess also for this past winter, what have we kind of been seeing and what does this mean for this upcoming growing season?
0: Yeah, so going back, maybe I'll skip back an extra year. 2021, everything was dry, right? That was kind of, we were uniformly dry. You know, some people were more dry than others, but that was kind of the messaging was all drought, depending just, you were a little lucky or less lucky depending on how droughted. Last year was more uh, across Western Canada, it was more of a story of two different stories going on. We had parts of the drought 2.0. So that would be parts of Southern Saskatchewan, into Central Saskatchewan and the West side of the province, for sure, where some of the crops turned out pretty good, but there was definitely dry pockets, especially even where we saw maybe closer to average moisture with no subsoil moisture from the year before, everything being bone dry, it was kind of a not as bad, but it was on the dry side. So year ended dry with basically no moisture in the soil profile again going into fall, whether the crop was good or not, but we're kind of dried right out. And then there's parts of Manitoba, eastern Saskatchewan, which had a heck of a lot of rain, crazy wet spring and just kind of the complete opposite uh, side of that it did get drier as the growing season went on so some really good crops and later crops came out so in those areas though more average soil moisture or good soil moisture in some cases going into the winter so i think that's probably the the biggest difference is just throughout the last last year in the growing season it was kind of challenging as an agronomist speaking to farmers across the prairies there was the dry the wet there was a small patch a small band of growers that i think were really really happy most of the season they were getting just the right amount of rain but that was actually a somewhat narrow band of growers especially in spring, it was too wet or too dry. So that kind of carries over with the subsoil moisture. So going into this spring, kind of similar, I think. I know some growers are staying there and, you know, had tile drainage running last fall all the way right up till freeze up. And some growers that there's nothing in the profile. Well, you know, snow on top now, but it's waiting to soak in.
1: Well, yeah, if I was a producer, I would love to have the perfect of everything, you know, be the Goldilocks of the weather pattern and all the precipitation. So in terms of, you know, going back to 2021 and 2022, these, you know, dry and perhaps very wet growing seasons for some producers, how do these all impact the decisions and kind of how a grower should approach their field this year?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things coming out that obviously we've talked about soil moisture. So you kind of hedge your bets a little bit. If there's nothing in the profile, you know, an average moisture year is not going to give you an average yield. Maybe usually they're kind of hoping there's something in the profile. You're going to need a bit more moisture or you just, you can't stretch the crop through those dry spells in between big rains. If you're really full up with good subsoil moisture, man, that uh, makes you a little more excited about maybe pushing the crop agronomically, maybe moving those yield targets up a bit. Also with that, just with last year being odd that way, and some, you know, maybe yields were a little bit more than you thought in some areas, less than you thought. Soil testing and how that impacts your fertility, what's actually left over. So hopefully a lot of growers are doing some fall soil testing to figure out what was actually left in the soil profile going into this year. And then, you know, buying fertilizer, making those fertility decisions based on that. But there still is a bit of a quick window here in spring. If you haven't done some soil testing or you're kind of wondering and you have opportunities to maybe purchase some more fertilizer, or change up your plan a bit, to do some soil testing early in spring and find out, you know, 2021 coming out of that with a really dry year, there was a lot of residual fertility left in fields that worked out well or you know that's what it was for farmers you could really cut back on your applied fertility in 2022 and still get what you need down to for your yield targets but this year it's really regional dependent but having a good idea what's left over is really important we don't want to uh under fertilize our crop that's a you know a bit of a harder one to fix especially if you're way under so there's a bit of an opportunity here to do some quick soil testing before seeding and maybe change up that fertility price there's also the other you know depending on how you're feeling on crop prices or other agronomic things, looking forward to the year, maybe you have changed your yield targets and want to do something a little bit different.
1: Right. And sticking with the soil a little bit here, how influential soil temperature when a producer goes out and they're thinking about seeding, like maybe they're thinking about going in the next couple of weeks, but it's still, there's still some snow on the ground. Like how influential can this soil temperature impact, I guess, the seeding rates, or I guess, you know, the crop actually coming out of the ground?
0: Yeah, so soil temperature can be really important. Obviously, if it's too cool, things might not emerge, or they're going to be really slow to the ground. The warmer, we always say the warmer, the better. That's not true indefinitely. But for spring prairie growers, it's pretty much the warmer, the better. If you could put all your canola in and it was the ground was 10 degrees in the seedbed... Man, that canola pops up quick. It's fast. It's off to the races. That's ideal. Obviously, we can't wait for that to hit 10. That's you know some of the last canola going in at the end of May is going to be into that 10 degree soil. But we're probably looking for more in that four to five degree range. Obviously, there's a lot of factors that are going on. You got other crops. You got to plant. You got other agronomic things. You got to look at. It's cool now, but it's going to be warming up quickly. So, you know, canola, the emergence, it just depends on how long it's going to take to emerge with that s- soil temperature. But we do know the faster it emerges, the more vigor it has. Maybe the faster we can push through that cotyledon stage, get into starting to push out for uh, some true leaves. And that gets us through flea beetles timing. We also know that the seed treatments we're putting down with our canola, they have a limited shelf life. That shelf life kind of varies a little bit depending on moisture and temperature as well. But the longer the seeds sit in there. And haven't emerged and haven't started to put out leaves the less effective that seed treatment's going to be so some crops you seed them and they might only emerge you know two to three weeks later or two weeks later and then you're not you're still dealing with flea beetles three weeks after seeding you're starting to really run out of gas in the seed treatments and that's why we might have to pull the trigger on a foliar insecticide or really be a little more careful some of those ones that pop out a little bit quicker the seed treatment's still up and running and a little bit more effective so Soil temperature is definitely not the only factor growers should be considering, but especially if you're really worried about flea beetles, making sure your uh, soil temperature is a little bit warmer, just is another tool in that toolbox to try to get you through flea beetle staging.
1: For sure. And I mean, let's just jump right into insects here. You've already mentioned the the big F word, but what other insects should producers kind of be worried about in these early growing seasons? And when should they kind of be going out and scouting and seeing if flea beetles might be a problem?
0: Yeah, so flea beetles are year over year. On average, flea beetles are the worst pest in canola. The one that causes us the most trouble, causes the most foliar insecticide. It's just the most consistent pest we have. You always seem to have some flea beetles around. It's just whether you're going to hit that threshold. So uh, a couple things with flea beetles is just starting the year off right with your your stand establishment. We talked about soil temperature. So getting anything you can do to get the plants through that susceptible stage faster just limits the the amount of damage, the time the flea beetles have to do damage. So... The first seeded crop that's cool maybe had some other you know, cool small you know poor conditions slow emerging all of those things that's you know so if we get anything we do to speed it up that's going to help plant stands is another thing obviously canola seed is expensive we don't want to be putting extra seeds in the ground but anytime we're talking that four or less plants per square foot that's not a lot of plants if you start to lose into flea beetles or you think of the actual amount of cotyledon area seed treatment's working but there's so many flea beetles and you have less plants more often you're gonna pull a foliar insecticide or something like that. So making sure we have a good plant stand that's uniform, that helps deal with it. Just, yeah, anything that'll start to slow it down. So your seed place fertility rates, making sure that we're, you know, some fertility, especially phosphate with the seed is fine, but not pushing those seed rates. You get some burns, so you're gonna get less emergence. Maybe you'll have scarred the plant a little bit and it's just gonna kind of sit there and recover. Again, any of those things, open that window and just open the door to more flea beetle issues. So flea beetles, anytime that canola is popping out of the ground, all the way from there till the one leaf, sometimes a little bit later under really high conditions. But if you're in if you're one, two leaf and your plants are healthy growing, get a good plant stand, you're usually past the worst of it at that point. So growers should be scouting regularly. We know flea wheels are out there and it's every couple of days, especially under moderate pressure. If you start to see, you know, the cotyledons are getting nibbled. We're not a threshold yet. The seed treatment's doing what it's doing, but it's getting worse. It should be every day or two. Even sometimes we have cases where, you checked and it was okay. You come back a week later and the field's kind of gone or patches of it or just disappeared. And what happened here? And it's just the flea beetles at the right time. They can really take off on you. So growers are aware of this. Flea beetles are always our biggest pest. So that's something to be careful of. You got a few other weird ones like wireworms that'll come in. They'll be kind of patchy and you'll just have plants that maybe don't emerge. Cutworms are kind of similar. You get some cutworm issues. So being aware of those patches, keeping an eye on, you know, sandy warmer soil patches or areas of the field that just aren't, that aren't emerging Sometimes people that are dealing with cutworms have been dealing from the past. Some fields seem to be a little bit worse at attracting them or regions. So those are the early ones. After that, as far as like predicting what's uh, the information we have going into this season, there's not a lot else for early season pests, especially in the drier regions of Saskatchewan. If we remain dry, I think there is the potential to have a bad grasshopper outbreak. We've been dry for a couple of years. Those populations do take some time to ramp up. So again, if we get wet, cool and humid this summer, that really gets rid of the risk, So there's no certainties there. And hopefully that's what happens and we don't have a grasshopper problem, but there'll be a few late season insects, which grasshoppers probably has the highest risk just in the dry regions. If it stays dry, all of the other pests, as far as canola are kind of, I don't know, nothing too out of the ordinary. You can't always have an outbreak of some of these things, especially insects that maybe fly in, but uh, there's no, no major red flags at this point, which is good.
1: That is very good to hear. I mean, As an entomologist, I love seeing bugs, but at the same time, I can understand that maybe the enthusiasm isn't at the same level for some other people. (laughs) So uh, I think 2023 is going to be somewhat of an interesting year because there's been some more news about lambda cytohathrin and its usage in canola or just in general. So could you perhaps touch on what's been happening with that specific insecticide and what should growers be expecting in the future for what they should be using for uh, insecticide treatments?
0: Yeah. So the Lambda decision happened a couple of years ago with PMR, the initial decision on the restrictions on feed uses, but not on food uses. And so that's a distinction we haven't seen in Western Canada before, as far as a pesticide label. And our system across commodities is not particularly segregated well between food and feed. Things are food until they don't become food because something wrecks your crop. So you apply it to your wheat, your bread wheat, it's probably going to go for milling. And then, you know, you get a frost and something that's feed wheat, right? Those kind of segregation things. And there's mixing, there's blending kind of happening throughout the system. So a bit of an interesting one in the canola world, I guess flea beetles are probably the biggest early season use of this product. We do have a number of other alternatives. I think there's, there's there's half a dozen other insecticides that are all registered on flea beetles and kind of have You know, some of them are actually very similar modes of action, similar use pattern rate, like they're essentially equivalent for growers using. So the good news is coming forward for this growing season, we expect there to be lots of options available to growers when they do need a product. There will still be Lambda on the market, so they could use that. And we would caution if they're going to use that to talk to their grain buyer ahead of time. You know, it is still registered for use in Western Canada, but obviously with this weird distinction, I think the value chain in general is trying to sort through what does that mean? How do we actually approach this? So I would, you know, talking to your grain buyer, if you're going to use that product, but there are also a number of other products that are available that work really well on flea beetles. And all indications are that that supply will be good. So when a grower needs it for a flea beetle, they will have access to a product that's going to effectively work on that. So that's really the take home message for a grower is that you might have to use a product you haven't used before or a different one for your flea beetles. And if you have some lambda sitting around in the shed, you might want to sit on it for a little bit and maybe try to use something else but you know at the end of the day we need to control pests and yeah because all these there's a number of insecticides that are equivalent on a control growers are regularly using them somewhat interchangeably depending on what's available or what their program or whatever the deal is so that's the good news for 2023 and canola council and a lot of other commodity groups and value chain organizations are still working to try to get this sorted out at the pmra level we're kind of hoping we're still hoping that this gets reversed but it's kind of unlikely that's going to happen for the 23 growing season.
1: Well, it's good to hear just going into this season that there's plenty of other options for growers that still do almost the exact same and the exact same way to handle flea beetles. So good to hear that there's a few more tools in everyone's belt before these nasty bugs start waking up. Speaking of other nasty things, let's talk weeds. So just in general, what kind of weeds should growers be on the lookout for as they uh, start seeding and they start seeing some of their plants coming out of the ground?
0: Well, now we see where I can start rambling and talking for a long time because my background is actually in weed science. So this is where I get really excited. You know, bugs are fun or not fun, depending on the grower or how much scouting you have to do. But uh, weeds are always a hot topic. And actually, there's not particularly very many good news stories in the weeds frontier. You know, herbicide resistance continues to spread. We, You know, there's not... <laughs> There's not a lot of great news, but the thing to prep for this year is really, is getting on top of your weed control early. So we know herbicide resistance is spreading. What the key driver weeds you want to be looking for are probably ones that are keen to develop resistance, maybe already have resistance on your farm, or just the key driver weeds, the ones that are prolific. You know, each farm will have a specific weed and, you know, the big ones, wild oats or kochia are pretty common across the prairies, maybe cleavers if you're in the black soil zone, but the key driver weed on your farm, how how are you controlling that? Are you doing a good job of that? you're in the drier regions where subsoils is still an issue and moisture is really of top concern getting in there early early weeds use up a lot of moisture and that's moisture in the top that we're going to use for our seed bed for our canola especially if you have winter annuals if you didn't get a good control so you know brassicas like flicksweed or something like that they're up they're big they've already overwintered they use up a heck of a lot of moisture early so if that's your primary concern getting in there as soon as you can and getting effective control of them. And that's kind of a, in general, the sooner you can do your weed control, the better. They're taking on fertility, they're taking out water, any of those things. From a herbicide resistance standpoint, making sure we have a tank mix partner. Just the real short-term, easy message for this spring is make sure you have a tank mix partner with your glyphosate before any crop. Canola, obviously we're talking more about canola here, but any crop, we have glyphosate resistant kochia. It's everywhere. It's spreading. It's spreading rapidly. We also have a number of other weeds that are resistant to other modes of action. The cleaner we can get that field early, the better. So glyphosate pre-burn should never be applied alone. Have something else in the tank. There's a number of different options. It really depends on what else you're targeting. Are you targeting Roundup Ready volunteer canola? Something just like a promoxynol, something pretty basic. We'll just burn that off and give you a little extra control. Make sure we're controlling kochia if you have kochia in your field, just because we know that glyphosate resistance is pretty widespread. And then what else are you doing there? Can you get something with a little bit of residual? not so much in the canola world or some soil applied herbicides. If we can start layering some soil applied herbicides, these are expensive, but they go down at a different time. So if you don't get your pre-burned on quite right, you have something else in the soil working for you. If your in crop gets delayed, you got something else working or an application doesn't quite work out. You have a different mode of action kind of working in the background to reduce the population, kind of working against some of those weeds as well. So other things we consider is, you know, good agronomy just equals good weed control. So, you know, making sure we have good plant stand, our crop is really competitive. The fertility we've placed, maybe we've placed it a little closer to the canola than to the weeds. We're not just broadcasting or giving of the weeds a smorgasbord of fertility. uh, So any of these basic agronomy things all make a difference. It's really part of a more integrated system. But for growers that are just prepping for this spring, make sure you have your tank mix partners at home. So when sprayers got to get rolling, you got your glyphosate and you have what else you're mixing with it. The only other thing with that, I guess, kind of thinking more across commodity is we're asking growers to add more tank mixes into the rotations. Different crops used to be maybe you applied glyphosate across the farm by itself for your whole pre-burn and now I'm going to ask you to add something in canola and then your cereals you're going to put something else in your pulses make sure we're taking the time we're setting ourselves up for success on cleaning the sprayer out there's a few more cleans in there some of the pre-burns not in canola but another one's use a group two herbicide and we know the group twos don't always clean out so well and then we have canola issues or so making sure you have the right tank cleaners at home depending on what you're using and Anything you could do now and I'm plumbing on the sprayer, setting yourself up so you can rinse that sprayer really fast and easy. Ideally in the field, a little bit of water, get that product out so that when we go to canola, sprayer is clean and we don't have that extra layer of complexity of is there a group two clean out issue here or not.
1: So what I gather is just start clean, whether it's your field, whether it's your equipment, just get out in the field, make sure everything's clean so you don't have to worry about these weeds competing against the lovely canola that you planned to seed there
0: yeah and because we're still here into i think this podcast comes out in the beginning of april we have time so when i don't work for the canola council i put on a farmer hat and i spend my evenings and weekends farming so i understand you talk you have these good plans in winter and you think ah, i should do that i should do that and then may hits and it's just like all hands on deck we got to get acres you know things got to get seeded the sprayer's got to run and you know things only break when you're using them and then you get behind and then you're scrambling to get you know the crop in. it's a really busy time so Things you can do now, just you know, again, like either it's having product on hand or is there a little bit of plumbing you can do on the sprayer to make it easier to clean out? Rinse out so you can save yourself time in season. I don't have extra time. I do my spraying before and after work. So I don't have time at 10 o'clock at night to spend an extra 45 minutes rinsing my sprayer. So what are we doing now to set ourselves up to success so we can get the applications on right? Little, It's some of the little things that the prep now. If you have a little bit of time yet, as you're pulling equipment out, you go, oh yeah, I was going to do something last year. I, re-, you know, We're going to replumb this a little bit. We're going to... No, maybe you add a, fr- a second pump so you can pump fresh water right through your boom. Something that's actually pretty simple to add in and out of the growing season, but makes it a lot faster to rinse that sprayer and get it clean. So maybe every night when you park it at home, your boom is clean. So when you come next time, you don't have some sort of goo building up somewhere in the, all the plumbing of the sprayer.
1: Yeah, surprise or mysterious goo doesn't sound uh, appealing at all. <laughs> so It
0: is never a fun time.
1: No, I do not imagine it would be. So lastly, just wrapping up, uh, I guess the three bad things that could be in your field and a disease. So is there a threat for early season diseases kind of going through your early seeded crop or what should farmers be kind of on the lookout for?
0: Yeah, there are some. So starting right at germination, we have some seedling diseases. There's a couple different ones, some seedling blights and complex. The easiest way to them, you know, planting at the right depth. At the in good soil conditions, now you know, not crazy wet and at the you know, not over compacting it or just anything you can do to help that seed germinate well. Yeah, the depth thing, any of those things that'll take care of a lot of our seedling complex issues. They do pop up from time to time, but quite often under adverse conditions when the plants are stressed, it's been planted too deep, it's running out of vigor, now it's lingering. So, you know, some of the similar things that set it up for success against weevils beetles also work on seedling diseases. Other things there are, you know, black leg can start early season. There are seed treatment available. So if you're really worried about that, there are ways to manage a little bit of early season Black Lake. Quite often we're not gonna see the major yield impact, we're not gonna see the major effects till later in the season, but the infection does start early. So from that perspective, you know, keeping on top of it and knowing which are your high risk fields for Black Lake and maybe changing the variety. We still have a little bit of time now. Make sure you're matching the right variety for Black Lake. So If, you know, two or three years ago you had canola in the field and you remember, oh yeah, there was a lot of black leg there. Make sure let's try to get a variety that's a little bit different, that has a different R genes a little bit so we can match up that resistance and be effective that way. That's probably the easiest thing now is maybe swapping around those varieties a little bit. If we have had a black leg problem or you're on a tight rotation, you have been wet, something like that. The black leg risk is high swapping, you know, effective resistance variety selection is really important or is that the easiest way to deal with this problem once we get into the season it gets harder and harder to deal with these problems but other than that a lot of a lot of our diseases come a little later verticillium i guess is still one particularly in manitoba we're working with we don't know tons about it so i you know we don't have a lot of specific advice or guidance on verticillium yet a lot of research is in the works especially as from a seeding perspective but a lot of the other diseases come a little bit later club root infections obviously the infection happens later the symptoms are obvious later the only thing now is if you have a new drill or you picked up a new piece of land or you're doing a little make sure you're it's clean we obviously don't have time to clean between fields that would be a, the dream but it's just not practical but if you bought a new drill over winter and it's sitting with some mud on it from somebody's farm somewhere that's probably pays to knock the mud off and keep sure make sure that doesn't get into your field to stop club root getting into your field or into onto the farm in general after that you know the mud will fly in the field as if it's wet and receding as it does but that's about it on the disease front
1: Well, Ian, we've talked about a lot of great things today, just in general for best management practices and strategies that producers can use going into this growing season here. Where can they go with respect to the Canola Council to find more information if they need to refresh their memory on what varieties that they need to look out or how to scout for flea beetles?
0: Yeah, so there's a couple options. Canola Encyclopedia, just Google Canola Encyclopedia, and it is literally the encyclopedia of canola for Western Canada. Everything you probably want to know agronomically. And we update it regularly. So if there is a change in there, there is something new that's come to light or some tweaking that happens kind of on an ongoing basis. So that's a really good source. If you want to do the deep dive, if you want little information or what should I be looking for in my field, like this week throughout the growing season, we also put out an Ola watch. So you can do something you subscribe for. It's a really short, like five minute reading email comes out once a week in the growing season, not so much in winter. And so that's uh, agronomists agronomist like myself. And there's a team of us across the prairies. We sit down once a week and we say, this is what we're seeing in the fields. Here's the relevant information. So at flea beetles, you're going to get flea beetle timing. Come herbicide timing, you'll get tips and tricks on making sure that herbicide works well, or, you know, scouting for club root, everything kind of as you need it in the growing season. Again, it's like five minutes to read, or you can read more in detail if you need, but it's quick and easy. So I would sign up for canola watch as well.
1: Great. And Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. If our listeners have some further questions that they want to get in touch with you. Where can they find you?
0: So you can reach me. My email address is eppicanolacouncil.org at dot org, or go to the Canola Council website. So we kind of have regions. There's a few of us scattered throughout the prairies, and so if you look up the staff there, you'll see a nice map with your local agronomist. So if you do have questions agronomy related or anything canola related, and you, you know haven't found information or you find an encyclopedia and that just leaves you with more questions, and you'd like to have somebody answer it, yeah, feel free to reach out to us, and we can try to answer some of those questions for you.
1: Fantastic. Well, Ian, thank you for joining us on Inputs.
0: Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the
1: podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts
0: or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.